Okay, everybody. Let's go ahead and get started. We have a couple missing tonight, but we know they're going to be missing, so we won't wait. Um, some of you just heard me say next week I'm going to be a few minutes late. I'm on duty at Storehouse, so I can't get out early, but I'll be over here by 6.45 to 7, and Brian will be here on time and starting things. So it uh, be his first time working in teaching. Maybe I just have him do the whole thing. Who knows? Brian, if you're listening, go for it. That's right. That's right. Joy's, Joy's not here either. What can we get her to do? We'll teach her. Okay. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this day. And Lord, I know we're coming from lots of different places, lots of different things that we've been doing all day long. Help us to come together in the same place, in the same thoughts, so that we can really study together. Help us, Lord, to understand the things that uh, we need to, to memorize the things that we need to, um, and to just be able to practice this. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today's going to be, uh, I'm going to give you some new stuff, not a lot, but mostly it's going to be reviewing and um, even a little quiz in a moment, but starting next week, uh, we're going to be doing, uh, next week we're going to do more vocabulary, adding to that, and we're going to begin to have you practice, um, once I give you the conjugation form next week, the primary conjugation form, we're going to begin to have you practice uh, actually looking at words and, in a sense, translating them. Now, you're not going to translate whole passages yet. Uh, whether you ever do or not, honestly, will depend on what you do after you leave this class. Because you'll get enough to begin to practice things like that, but you're not going to be quite there just from what I give you to truly translate. But you'll be pretty close. So uh, with practice, you could be doing that. Put some words up here just because they're fun. Every one of those words is a word that, uh, well, the, the top two lines is a word that we use in English. And uh, one of the things, as you become more and more familiar with the Greek letters, um, you'll begin to look at them. It'll begin to just sort of jump at you what, what that is. You won't have to work quite as hard to read it. And the more that happens, the more these words are going to sound extraordinarily familiar. So as you're looking them up or as you're looking at them in a text, um, they're going to start jumping out at you. The first one, for example, is what? Loud enough? Because I've got the mic. You've got to tell the people who are listening. We're not loud yet. Zoe, Zoe, depends on you know which one of those. Um, and what's that sound like? Sounds like a little girl's name. But that little girl's name means something. What does it mean? Life. Okay. So it comes into English. There, there's the root, and we just add that. So this place where we've got all sorts of types of life is called a zoo. The study of life is zoology. Okay, so, yeah, life. Okay, um, this one is fun. We, that was on the uh, study guide. Uh, if you're doing the sermon study guide, that was on the study guide this week. 
sound it out, and then yell it out. The second to last is an alpha. Trust me. Where's the accent? Okay. Um, alpha omega does not make a diphthong. So that is automatically two syllables. Okay. So planao. Okay. And remember that omega, we haven't really given you these yet, but I did mention that a couple of times. Omega is the primary ending for first person uh, active um, for a verb. So that's going to be the lexical form. So you're going to see that omega show up a lot um, on the ending of verbs. So planao. And with planao, what do you suppose would be the root? Take an educated guess. One. Okay? So you've got that first part, and the vowels that come after are the ending. Now, what do you know, what English word do you know that has that? Plant? And I don't think it's related. Planet. Definitely related. Planao means to wander. But if it's in the passive voice, what's the difference between active and passive? Right. So if it's wander and you're doing it, you're wandering, right? Now, it's a little awkward to say you're being wandered. So how might you say that? What might that be if it's passive? Okay, being led, but it's not the primary word for led, so there's a little extra, um, not just connotation, there's a little extra denotation to it. And again, think wander. So led away, led around, led astray. So the word deceived, this is um, it's not the only word that's translated deceived, but it is a common word for deceived. Um, now, how does that, how does, you know, wander or be deceived, how does that relate to planet? Planets were considered, I mean, they're, they're bright lights up in the sky. They're, you know, nobody had any clue they were any different than the stars, except they moved. Whereas, the, I mean, the stars tended, the whole sky tended to move together, but they didn't move with regard to each other, and the planets did. So the planets were called the wandering the wanderers. Okay. Uh, okay. What's that one? Phoné. What does that sound like? Phoné. Or phoné, again, depending on which system of pronunciation. Sound. Okay. And that's exactly what it means. Sound. So phonetics is spelling by sound. A telephone is message over sound. A symphony. Symphony. What is symphony? It's sound, sounds that come together. Together sound. Symphony. 
Okay, here's, here's one, and I actually presented this to you um, playing with it uh, four weeks ago, but we were just playing with it. So let's see if you remember it. What would a cacophony be? Um, you're close. You're close. Definitely discordant. Kakos is the opposite of kalos. Kalos, for the Greek, was beauty. But in Greek dualism, beauty equaled good. Ugly equaled bad. So kakos is bad or evil. Cacophony is just a bad sound. A symphony would be, implica implication would be a good sound because you've got all these things blending together, whereas a cacophony, things are just crashing into each other and so forth. Okay? Extra credit for those uh, of you who are um, geeks and or maybe even nerds. Uh, famous original Star Trek episode based on this concept. Anybody remember it? Kakos and Kalos. So when Spock lost his sight and was driven mad because he looked upon a life form that was so different than us and that life form's name was Kalos. It was considered so ugly that it drove uh, people mad, but he was named Kalos because he wasn't ugly, he was beautiful in terms of who he was, that life form. So it was a challenge to this identification of beauty and good and ugly and bad. So phonet is back to the sound part, okay? All right. What's that one? Louder? Eon or eon? Okay. Start, always start with the part you know. So there's an, there's an omega. What's omega every single time? Oh. oh. There's a ni or nu. What is that every time? N. So the ending is on. We know that. So all you got to do then is figure out, all right, how's that diff song going to be pronounced? And you can flip a coin and figure that one out. So eon. What does that sound like? Exactly. That is, eon is actually a transliteration of that. It's not a translation. It's just English letters given to that. And an eon means what? An age. It can be a long time. It can be a indeterminate time. Um, and then it, there's a, a little bit different form of that word, eonios. And that means eternal or eternity. So every time you see the word eternity, it's based on that word. And something into eternity, or like eternal life, is eonios ton eonios. So it's, it's eternity to eternity, which, of course, is just a, a magnification of the concept. Okay. Okay, duo, that's how Brian would say it, and that helps you. So I'll tell you how I'd say it in a minute, but let's stay with what, what Brian would say, because what's that sound like? 
dual. Okay. Again, it's not a translation. It's transliteration, English letters given to a Greek word. What's it mean? Two. A duo is two. Usually a duo is two people or two things working together. But literally it's simply the word for two. And then logos. Now again, we've, we've talked about this in several times. I'm bringing it out again. If I bring it out several times, why would I do that? Because it must be important. Yes. Why would logos be important? Okay, for one thing, that was actually the name the Greeks gave Jesus. The Logos. The Logos meaning not just a Logos. Because for them, the concept of Logos was extraordinarily important. In their culture, that was like the big thing. And so to call Jesus the Logos was to say that Jesus is the big thing. Okay? Now, what thing, what big thing is Jesus? It's a moth. It has no stinger. It's okay. Did you just imply I'm scared of a moth? No, I'm not you. I'm not scared of a moth. Oh, that's better. I will challenge that. I have no... That she has here. My fears are entirely rational. No, I'm totally not scared of sharks because I don't go in the water. Thank you very much. Which, by the way, is a logos. We set that up, didn't we? Yeah, sure we did. So what is a logos? The thought, concept, yeah. See, I mean, it, it means word, but word is, is a bit oversimplified. It doesn't just mean word. So we translate in John 1, the word, which is fine, because the thought or idea or concept just doesn't sound right. Uh, I'm not sure the word probably sounded right hundreds of years ago, the first time it was translated into English, but we're used to it. Um, but it's, it's way bigger than that because the Greeks almost worshipped ideas, wisdom, although Paul challenged that what they called wisdom wasn't, but still they thought it was. And, and so, you know, if you wanted to get a Greek into a conversation, all you had to do is say, I've got a new idea, or I've got this idea, or this thought, and everybody would just jump on it. It was like a national sport. Okay. So it comes into English the same way, but we add, we give it that, take the OS off and add a Y. So can you think of a word in front of that? For example, zoology, zoology, the word or concept of life. Okay which is a little awkward, but, of course, in, in American, it basically means the study of life. So everything with ology is that. It's whatever the, the prefix is, the study of. Okay? 
but it's not just the study of, it is the word. And, and it can even be a, a noun, or excuse me, a verb form of uh, to word something or to express something. And so we've got this fun one. I just threw this one in because that was there, and this one just popped into my head, and I thought, you're going to like this one. Okay? That's not a P, that's a, a toss. Two toughs. So I tried to I tried to separate them. I just made them too close. So, what is this part? Pata. Okay. There's no there's no accent. And then this is a verb form of that noun. Okay. So it is to conceive or conceptualize or express pata. What does bata mean? Trick question. Five seconds. Four, three, two, one. It means absolutely nothing. So Jesus says when you pray, do not say bata, 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 bata. And that I means that's literally what he said. Bata, what he said. Don't babble. Don't use meaningless repetition. That's how it's translated usually, which is much cleaner and more academic than what he actually said. It is an onomatopoeia, a word that the meaning is simply uh, an expression of the sound of it, and the sound of it is supposed to be a nonsense sound, hence it's nonsense. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray nonsense. Know what you're saying, okay? Because the, J, the pagans, the Gentiles, think they're going to be heard because of their many words. This, by the way, is the absolute definition of a mantra. I cringe every now and then because I hear Christians talking about, well, I've got a new mantra. And they usually mean like a new slogan or something, but no, that's not. A mantra was a, a, an expression, um, and the meaningless word was usually an, a proper noun, the the name of a Hindu deity that would simply be repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over until you achieve a certain mental state, which will happen if you do that long enough. You zone yourself out. You disconnect. You dissociate. And, and then who knows what happens. Uh, from our perspective, what you've just done is disconnect from any rationality which is a very dangerous thing. From the Eastern perspective, that's a good thing because rationality is part of the world and we want to get away from the world. You'll never find that in the Bible. But it was just interesting, I thought you might like to see that there are even onomatopoeias in Greek because there's times when the Greek word is simply a nonsense word and it's meant to be that because it sounds like something. Does that make sense? You guys understand onomatopoeia? We're all there? Okay. Okay. Well, any questions on anything we've covered so far? Not just today. Any questions on anything that we haven't covered? You're just wondering about it anyway. I'm going to take that as a no. 
allow me to give you a piece of paper so that we can do a quiz. But you're going to love this one because you're going to ace it. And this is not an open book quiz. So please close books or notes. Later you can use the rest of this part. And what I'd like you to do is start the very top and simply write the Greek alphabet straight across. Both cases. agenda I'm going to put on the tables.
Okay, give you one more minute. <coughs> Excuse me. I think you might be cheating. Yeah. <laughs> even starts with the same three letters. I'm pretty sure that's, you know, significant. Not 
not 100% parallel, but a strong one. But the ones that are explicitly Greek and we don't have an equivalent to them um, become a little bit more difficult sometimes to place. So there's acrostics that you can do just by looking down. You, know, you, you wrote top to bottom, so just look down and pronounce them out in different ways. I've seen people do that. Um, there's, again, like the ABC song, there's music that people have written. Um, I do not know any Greek ABC songs. But I'm, I bet you, I haven't even done this, but I'll bet you if you just went on YouTube, you'd find them. Um, probably more effective to write your own. Or you can simply just memorize it. It kind of depends on what works best for you. But do this. Um, in a little bit, I'm going to pull out some resources and review them again. And this time, I'm going to pass them around and actually give you time to get your hands on it. And because I want you, I want you to get some of these um, if you're going to go on beyond where we are now. And uh, it's not that expensive. You know, you can get them hard and get them used, and um, they won't cost you that much. But you're not going to be able to just use free online tools and really use this. Um, they're, they're just not going to go that deep for you. Is that making sense? So that's why I keep, keep doing this. I'm not trying to be pedantic. It's just this part is that important. I've told you uh, what, I, what I gave to you last week, and I'm going to give you more this week with articles. It's frankly not that important. Um, it's good to recognize it. It's good to remember. Um, you'll half remember if you use it a lot, so you'll kind of, oh, yeah, that's what it is, or I think that's what it is, but you'll still check it out. No problem. Um, it's, not, it's not so foundational that you've got to have all of that memorized. But you can't check it out. You can't use the tools to find out if you don't have this. So got to have that. All right. Um, how many of you had everything? Okay. How many of you had less than a third of it? Everybody had a third of it. Okay. Did everybody have a half of it? Everybody have, should I say two-thirds? Should I push my luck? Two-thirds of it? Okay. Um, I will tell you another thing that, to be honest with you, you're going to use the lowercase way, 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 way more often than you're going to use the uppercase. To the point where, what? Yeah. <laughs> it happens. And all I can tell you is, yeah, don't freeze up. But there, there's no question in the world you're definitely going to use the lowercase more. Um, the problem is you are going to use the uppercase still. So if you don't learn it, then there's going to be times when you're stuck. Stuck is not good. So don't be stuck. Okay, let's see. Um, we talked about examples of use, and um, there's another one. And you may you may remember, you may notice that some of the things that I'm sharing with you keep coming up, and that's not an accident. Particularly some of the things that are important concepts and do not exist in English, or at least they're not the same in English. So. Tonight we're going to talk again about articles, but I want to share with you under the part about the usefulness of understanding Greek, there's what's called a definite article. 
What is a definite article? The same in English, so you should know this. What is an article? The. That's one of them. <laughs> What's another one? Uh, a. a or A. Yeah. What's another one? And. And. Which is basically A. It's, most of the time it, it's the same function as A, but it's used when there's a, a consonant coming out or a vowel coming out. Um, so the, in English, is pretty pervasive. And it goes, I mean, I just said that before. There's logos and there's the logos. One of them is a definite article and it is pointing not just to a specific one, but when it's emphasized the logos, like capital letters, you're saying it is the quintessential, it is the best, it's the biggest, it's the most. Um, technically, it's the only, except we don't usually do that. It, it becomes uh, metaphoric instead of literal. So is Jesus the only logos? Of course not. But is he the logos? Yes. Okay, is he the king? Who says he's the king? Okay, is he the only king? Can't be the only king if he's the king of kings, which he is. So, of course, there's other kings. One of the things we do in English is we capitalize when we're, when we're trying to emphasize that definite article, we capitalize with a capital, in that case a capital K is king, or capital L, uh, the logos, whatever. Um, it doesn't always mean the, but it emphasizes those as opposed to all of the rest that are the same word. Is that making sense? Now, we're going to today, I'm going to give you in a moment, the first declension of articles. And uh, it will be masculine feminine, neuter, all of the cases, singular and plural. It is by no means all of the articles, but it is the biggest bunch of them. So if you get used to seeing these, at the very least you're going to know exactly what they are. Um, you may not be able to just look at it and say, oh, I know what case that is. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, particularly because some of them can be three different cases. So you have to figure out the function and then assign a case to it if you're really trying to do that. But you're going to know that there are articles at least. Okay? And then, frankly, depending on time in the course, we may bring up other articles, uh, second declension and, and further, that are a little bit different. Um, not gonna, I'm not going to go there immediately because these are the most important. Before we do that, I want to talk about two other concepts, one of which is in English and one is not. You've got the definite article. Okay. What about the indefinite article? Pick a noun. Anybody pick a noun. What? Chair. So we've got chair. Um, the chair would be what? It would be definite. How, how I mean we might use that? How would that make sense? 
this is the chair, like the one I was talking about, the one I wanted painted, the one I just bought, whatever. So it, it, it's more of a recent reference using the definite. There's also another way we might use it. Okay, okay, and you would probably omit the proper noun or the noun, um, or the, the pronoun or the person. So in that context, in the classroom, there'd be like, well, that's the chair. And what do you mean? Well, that's the teacher's chair. You don't go sit there. In the Oval Office, there's the desk and there's the chair. If you've ever seen pictures of the Oval Office, there's also a whole bunch of other chairs. But there's the desk and there's the chair. And normally only one person sits in the desk and the chair. Um, in, in those areas, even for a constitutional monarchy, there is a specific type of chair called the throne. Okay? Uh, which, by the way, means chair. Um, and, okay, so if we're going to use that word, it is definitely the chair because it represents the, the one that is owned by the monarch. Okay? Uh, in some cases, it's even more uh, infamous. A hundred years ago in this country, if you used the phrase the chair, what would that refer to? Yeah. It was very well known. Um, I suppose in a way it's a euphemism, but uh, a very well-known abbreviated way of referring to the electric chair. People would talk about getting the chair, and whether they're talking literally or figuratively, you know. If I go home like this, I'm going to get the chair, um, which means I'm in a heck of a lot of trouble, but nobody really believes someone's going to sit him down and execute him. But that's where it came from. So... That's definite. Now, a chair. It's indefinite. What does it mean? Okay, it can mean any chair. So if I say, pick up a chair, and you're sitting there going, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know which one. You know, you missed the point. I didn't say pick up a specific chair, I said pick up a chair, you know. So uh, first, first church I was ever part of, the benediction, and there was a benediction, uh, was pick up your chair and walk, or sometimes pick up a chair and walk, because we met on a college gym floor, and we had a bunch of metal folding chairs, and we only had it rented until 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Sundays. So as soon as uh, we were done with the service, like that, everybody had to dive in, pick up these chairs, stack them, stick them under the bleachers, and get out of there so we didn't end up being charged more rent. Any chair, just pick one, okay? Um, that's indefinite. In Greek, the presence of the article means definite. There is no such thing as an article that's indefinite. It is absence of the article that may indicate indefinite. But there's a number of times when it definitely does not. For example, um, if I wanted to say Peter walked on water, I could say, uh, I could use the article, and it would frequently be, 
Um, especially if I said something like, um, Peter went out on his boat. Because that phrase would probably be the boat of the Peter, the way it would actually be worded. So you would get that article in front of Peter, right? But you can use indefinite and just say, Peter did something. Um, and that doesn't mean a Peter did something. So depending on whether it is a human being or you know, what the context is, it may simply mean the word. It may simply mean um, any. Or one other option. Um, how many of you studied Plato? Do you understand or remember the Platonic ideal? concept of the Platonic, the logos of the Platonic ideal. There would be the chair, there would be a chair, and there would be chair. It would actually be more accurately uh, phrased in our language, even though we would never say this, chairness. The quality of chairness. It would be like the ideal imagination of chair, the ideal representation of chair. Okay? That's what that platonic concept would be about. Now, in Greek, there's what's called the anarchist noun, which means without article. But when it's referred to as the anarchist, it's almost always meaning not indefinite, but substantive. So, who has a Bible? And by that you meant the wall has a Bible. Okay. Uh, somebody, if you would, look up John 1, verse 1. We've referred to that already, but we're going to come back to it because it's important. John 1, verse 1. And if somebody else has one, Hebrews 1. You're going to read 1 and 2 just to make 2 make sense because 2 is the one we're interested in. So who has John 1? Okay. And who has Hebrews 1? Has anybody got Hebrews 1? Jim beat you to it. Okay. Mark, John 1, please. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. Now, just listening to that, where is the indefinite article? Okay, the, by definition, is the definite. Because definite means the word the. So it says the word, that's definite article. So in the beginning was the word. That's definite. Indefinite. Or, and really what I'm after is, where is there not an article? Um, the way it's translated, God may be. But you don't know. Um, or the, the first God. But the last use of God absolutely is indefinite. The word was God. Okay? Um, and it is indeed an archerist. What that means is not that the word was a God. 
There's only one, by the way, translation that I'm aware of that has ever translated that, and it is the um, Watchtower Society's. Um, what is the name of their translation? New World Translation? At the Watchtower Society. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, if you're not familiar with. It is a dishonest translation. I mean, there's, there's no question in the world that people who translated knew better. Um, and, by the way, you can take this to any Greek scholar who's not a Christian. They're not going to argue about it. They're going to be able to tell you exactly what I'm saying. It's not a faith thing until you read it and understand it. So, when it says the Word was with God and the Word was God, if you say a God, it sounds like you're speaking polytheism, which is precisely what the Watchtower Society is trying to say. There's all these lesser gods, and the Word was one of them. That's their teaching. We obviously would reject that from the outset. Um, they emphasize the one greater God, hence Jehovah or Yahweh's witnesses. Okay? So if it doesn't mean a God, then, again, to help you understand what it's getting at, add that suffix just for yourself. Don't read it this way. It will drive people crazy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was Godness. Godness. The quality of God. The essence of God. The platonic ideal, which is God. So the word was deity. And it was definitely a claim for the incarnation. The clearest teaching of the incarnation in the Bible. But you don't get that necessarily if you don't understand that strange thing called the anarchist article. Okay? Now, there's another place where that is very clear. Um, Hebrews 1, it's the second verse. So it's going to be towards the end of what he reads, so listen to it, but we'll, I'm going to ask you, Tim, to read 1 and 2 so that we get the context of the first verse. 1 and 2. Um, long ago, that many times, Okay. Long ago, in many ways, he spoke to us, and then he gives a specific that is definite, which is what? What was the definite reference of who he spoke to? The prophets. That's definite. D-T-A-T. Okay? But now, he speaks through, what did you say? His son. And what version are you reading? Okay, so it wouldn't have any italics or anything. Here's the thing. When you read Greek, it will take you zero time to look and find out it's not his son. It is son. He used to speak to us through prophets. Now he speaks to us through son. Okay? So you can play with that. 
there's no article. So, okay, let's figure out whether it's indefinite. Does, he, does it make sense that he's speaking to us through a son? You say no. Why? Right. Because it doesn't fit the context of the rest of what we know about Scripture. And Hebrews, by the way, even from a human perspective, was written after the majority of the New Testament was written. So if nothing else, the Hebrew writer would have known better. Okay? So if it's not a son, then what do you do in order to try to grasp what it's meaning? Go back to what I just said about the word. Sunness. The quality of. Okay? So this, this is not just the quality of, but it is the archetypal quality, the quintessential quality, the platonic uh, perfection quality. Sun. He chose to use these methods, but now sun. See, there's a, there's a drama to it. There's an emphasis to it. There's a dynamic to it that we do not get for the simple reason we don't use that expression. We don't use the lack of article that way. Okay? There are other places where you will find an Arthur's article in the New Testament. I do not know of any others that rank with those two in terms of their importance to what we believe and how we live. So, that's an arthritis. Now, let's go to the definite. And to do that, I will give you yet another piece of paper. Is anybody aching to just stop and sing songs in Spanish? See right here, bilingual? If you listen closely, you can kind of figure out what they're saying because most of them are songs we sing. <laughs> they do have, interestingly enough, on Sundays they sing more, they sing about half like that and a bunch of songs that are more original, uh, to more native to Spanish. And those are a lot harder to worship with them on because you're just going along with no idea what in the world they're talking about. Okay, so give you a list here. And uh, if you compare this to the one I gave you last week of the nouns, you're going to see a lot of similarity. And the reason is, almost always, did you catch that word? Almost always, the article will agree with the noun it is attached to. Okay? So, if the noun is what is that? Petron. Yeah, I didn't put an art, uh, uh, emphasis. I believe it would normally be there, but that's not where we would normally. So, the article is always in in this case always going to agree with it. Okay? And proper names do have articles. So, Ton Petron. Okay? 
and then it could be something that belonged to him, like his son, and it could be tu iu ton patron. And the reason I know ton patron is the one who has the son is the Omicron Ypsilon means of. So son of. The son of the Peter. And it could be the son of the Peter, it could be the Peter, the son of. It doesn't matter because in Greek word order is not that important in terms of the total meaning but only in terms of emphasis. Does that make sense? Okay, so briefly let's go over them. Nominative, masculine, singular, O. And you will see many, many, many O. And the, uh, when a lexical form uses uh, articles, they don't always. Sometimes they will do O. Um, what is that? I'm sorry, I've got all these loudspeakers on the other side here. you got to really do better than that. Yell it out. What it, just read it. What does it say? Oh, logos. We just got to be talking about the word, so we should be able to say it. Boy, did I just give you a hint. What is that translated? The word. Concept, idea, etc. Okay? So, in this case, first, um, not first person, um, singular, nominative, masculine. It does not agree with the ending. It would not be os logos. It would be ologos. Okay? So that's one of the exceptions that makes me say always. Um, the feminine would be a. So you'll see uh, just the eta in front of a noun, a pronoun, or an adjective that ends with an eta. So you know it's a definite article. Because otherwise it wouldn't be there. Um, neuter, to. And once again, it's going to be in front of a noun, pronoun, or adjective. Um, those, uh, the feminine and the neuter will agree with the ending. The ending in the feminine will be an eta. The ending of the neuter will be to. Okay? Is that making sense? You're sorry you can ask a question? What? Um, so you said it will agree with whatever we're, whatever we're talking about? Yes. Um, I, I guess that's... Did you say the same feminine as the alpha? Am I wrong? Well, I, I said there's different declensions. Oh, okay. I, well, actually, the other one said first and second. Yes, I know. Because I wrote it. Yep. No problem. Okay. Genitive and ablative are going to be two, teeth, or two. So the first one and the third one are the same. And they will agree. So the exceptions, we're done with the exceptions for singular. From now on, they're going to agree with the ending, but it's not the toss. The toss will not be there necessarily unless it's part of the root at the ending of the root. So it's going to be the Omicron Epsilon or the Eta Sigma 
uh, or the Omega with EOTA subscript, etc. Does everybody get where I am? Okay. Dative, locative, and instrumental. Those are the three that use a subscript. So you see that little, uh, it is supposed to be an iota under the last vowel. So the iota is actually the last vowel. It's not omicron, or excuse me, omega, and it's not the eta, it's the iota. Does everybody see that? Okay. So dative, locative, instrumental. If you see the iota subscript, you know it's one of those. Accusative, tone, teen, tone. Vocative, there is no. So if I say, hey, Tim, I do not say, hey, the Tim. I don't know why, by the way, because I don't think it would be any weirder than a lot of the other stuff I see in Greek, but they just didn't. Okay? So there is, there is no vocative for singular. There is vocative for plural. So the, before I leave the singular, is, does everybody get it? I recognize it's new to you, but you understand the letters, right? Okay. Because here's what we're going to start doing next week. I'm going to start putting nouns, adjectives, so forth up there. And you're going to tell me what case they are. You're going to tell me if they're male, female, or neuter. You're going to tell me if they're masculine. Um, I'm sorry, yeah. Well, male, male, female, or neuter, or if they're singular or plural, based on just what you see, which means you need to get familiar with these in order to do that. Right now, it would be very, very good for you to memorize it, okay? Just to help you be familiar with it, it is not something that I personally think you have to keep memorized, although it would hurt by any means. So we're all good there? Yes. The mark above it is a breathing mark because it is a vowel. Oh, you're right. I apologize. No, although if you look at the feminine one, um, it's going to be like that. So the feminine one, if you if you use that pronunciation, would be hey, with a ha sound. Although again, in modern Greek, they don't do the. That's that's been eliminated because. Laziness always wins in development of language. Okay? And by the way, if you're one of those who's, you know, bemoaning the changes in language and the way people are talking and like that, come on. Every language in history has done that. So just get over it. It's going to happen. Okay, plural. The nominative and the vocative are identical. So the way you know whether it's nominative or vocative is by the rest of the sentence. Okay? You can tell, but you're not going to tell simply because of 
the ending, because the ending is, is going to be the same um, as the nominative. And you're not going to tell because it's got that one weird ending and it doesn't have uh, a uh, article. You can tell that with singular, but not with plural. Confused faces. Are we together? Go ahead. Um, students? We wouldn't use the article because we don't use articles unless we're being definite. Okay? But vocative, yeah, they would. There's, there's times they wouldn't because, again, we, we've got to remember this is common Greek. And the, the language changes the fastest at the common level. Okay? Academic language resists change. But common language facilitates change. Does that make sense? So you're going to see vocative both with and without the article. Okay. Um, so E or OI depending on Erasmian, uh, modern Greeks would pronounce it E, um, or the uh, alpha, iota, diphthong, E, or I. Um, if you're pronouncing it the way you would learn in, uh, at, at uh, Rosemead or Biola, it would be I, with like a long I sound. And then neuter with ta, or ta. Okay? Genitive and ablative, tone, tone, or tone. Do you catch the difference? Good. There is no difference. Dative, locative, and instrumental. If you look closely, you're going to see a very similar thing to the singular. They all have the iota. Now, so does nominative and locative, so you've got to be careful. But they're the longer form. They've got the toss in front, but they also have an iota. It's not subscript, but it's there. And then there's a sigma ending. So, tis or tois, tes or ties, tis or tois. And again, just if I were you, by the way, I would simply, by this time, decide I'm going to pronounce it a certain way and just start pronouncing it that way. And just, I'm, I'm, I keep giving you both because uh, next week Brian's going to be up here. I want you to be able to understand what he's saying. And there's preachers who will give you illustrations, teachers who will give you illustrations. I want you to understand what they're saying, whether they're using modern Greek pronunciation or Erasmian. Accusative, tus, tas, ta. Okay? This is what drives Greek students absolutely crazy because there really isn't any quick mnemonic device that blends with American practices that's going to help you with this. You've simply got to learn it by rote, but then understand what it means. So there's actually a translation that's happening in our brains. We remember it. We know it means it's, it's this. Now what is this? Oh, this means this. And you've got to do all of that in your head if you're actually reading, if you're in Greek 3, you're going to read Greek in an exam, and you have to read it, and then you have to translate it as you're reading it 
and it better come out as normal English. So you're doing all of that in your head, sweating like you can't believe, and um, getting giant headaches. And guess what? It's absolutely useless. It really is to be able to do that. Okay, any questions on this? Everybody's good? You're smiling way too much. What is this? Okay, later on something will go, oh, I get it. Okay, so somebody give me a word. You've got vocabulary words. Did you say rabbit? Oh, I'm sorry. It's coming across real loud from the next door. It sounded like rabbit to me. Adelphos. Adelphos. Okay. Adelphos. What end ending is that? Nominative masculine singular. So what is the nominative masculine singular article? So most of the time you see this in writing, it's going to be this way. Okay? And it can mean the brother, or it can simply mean brother, because, again, the, the definite article is not necessarily emphasizing the definiteness any more than uh, Spanish does. Okay? Spanish just puts articles in there because that's what they do. Okay? Somebody give me another word. You got a list. What? Yeah, the problem is that's a verb. These, these have to be nouns or adjectives. Heaven, Uranus. Okay. So what do you think it would be? It would. Except Paul talks about the seven heavens. Okay. And by the way, there's great debate about whether that was figurative or literal. You know, are there really different heavens? Or, I mean, Paul's talking about a dream. Come on. Uh, so be very careful about systematizing theology of heaven based on that one passage. But he does talk about it, and it's plural. So how would I write that? I'm going to start with the root. Uran. Now, what? Oi? I love it. Sounds cocky. Okay. It would be oi if I'm simply meaning the heavens. So we're back to it's nominative and it's it's masculine. Why would the heavens be masculine, by the way? Okay. Partially, they did view it that way. Um, because this wouldn't just be heaven in the spiritual sense. Uh, the New Testament does actually use it two different ways. 
it uses it for heavens meaning sky, and it uses it as the home of God. And I don't think you would find Jesus and the apostles teaching that God lives like 30 stories up or at a certain altitude. So that's part of it. Part of it is that one way or the other, have you ever looked into the heaven and, and, and the heavens and simply been overwhelmed? So you, you get the sense of awe, the sense of power, and if there's a sense of power, where would that be? Masculine. Now be careful because there's a sort of power. Um, you, you can get a sense of power from the rock of Gibraltar too. It's, it's strength and it is static. It's stable. I don't mean static in a bad way. Okay? Whereas the heavens power is not necessarily. For example, have you ever looked up into the heavens during a big storm? Ain't nothing stable about it. Right? And if you're, if you're one of them, they, by the way, were much more into astronomy than we are. Because um, to them, the heavens uh, were so overwhelming that they believed the heavens controlled them. Hence the whole concept of astrology. Um, it didn't start off as a witchcraft superstition kind of a thing. It, it was simply, it's so big, so awesome, so powerful, it must be bigger than us, therefore it must have control over us. So all of that equals masculine, okay? So what would the masculine ending be? It would be Omicron Iota. Um, depending on where it is in a sentence, probably the same accent mark. Now, if it is nominative, it is uh, masculine, and it is plural, what would the article be? What? Why don't you want to say that? <laughs> Oi, or e. Again, the, the modern. How many of you have ever seen oikos? The yogurt? Yeah, it's not oikos, it's ikos. I mean, the people who make it say it's ikos. Okay? Because they're Greek. Alright? Okay. Now, what if I'm watching the heavens? Ooh, what? It would be the direct object, so what case would it be? What did you say? Mm, probably not, no. Direct object normally is going to be um, it's going to be accusative. Okay? So I'm watching the heavens. So it's accusative. It's the heavens. So it's plural. Does it change gender? No. No. And, and it's, not a, it's not a trick question. It's going to be extremely rare, but there are times it might. But in this case, no. So I'm looking for plural, accusative, masculine. What is the ending? 
What's the ending? Okay. Well, it, the ending is us. The article would have the top in front of it. So first we start with the ending. And then, because the article is going to agree with the ending, Tusaranus. Okay? If I'm going to the heavens, what would that be? Locative. Think location. Okay? So, I'm still plural. It's still masculine, but now it's locative. What's the ending? Okay, remember not the top, but yes, east. So, Uranis, and then the article simply matches. Okay. So, so, so kindergarten, but when you use this piece, it says article, first sequence, what you are using as the article to demonstrate that is the. Yeah. So this is just the sequence of the word the. Well, the is the definite article. There is no other definite article. There is a type of uh, pronoun that sounds like it, but it's not quite the same. So if the word the as a vocabulary word is either o, e, a, and you should say a, or to. Or any of the rest of these. At what point? What ta are we talking about? Oh, oh the ta. Yes, yes. Um, really, what we started off doing, as I said, remember last week you got the other handout. So when I said um, with Mogos or whatever the first one I put up there was, I don't remember, um, I said you got the sheet last week. So to avoid the, the confusion of the tough or the not tough, go back to the declensions and do exactly the same thing, but you don't have that tough bumping in. you just got the endings, but you've got it in a word. So you've got the word, you've got, you can tell what the root word is because it's the same all the way across, and then you've got the ending. Then you put the ending on, and then... You put the article, which agrees with the ending, and it's le unless it's first person, not first person, I keep saying that, unless it is uh, singular nominative, it's going to have a toss. If you look at that, every one of them, other than the singular non nominative ones, have a toss. Does that make sense? So you're going to have the toss, and then you're going to have whatever ending you had from that list I gave you last week, which is why I suggested you practice that list. Well. First 
Well, again, dative is dative, locative, and instrumental are going to be very similar, and it has to do with direction. Okay. Okay. Um, so, give me a second here. Going into tomorrow, we need to have some sleep. So tomorrow would be dative. It's a day. It's a noun. We're going into it. But it's not a place. It's not locative. I am oversimplifying it, by the way. If you hadn't picked up, almost everything I say to you is oversimplified. So if a Greek professor was listening to what I'm saying, I guarantee you they could probably come up with exceptions to virtually everything I'm saying, which is why I keep saying words like almost always or, you know. So that hasn't changed. I'm just trying to avoid saying it all the time. Does that make sense? Okay. So question number two. I, I don't do feminine. I have to have Donna here to do that. She smiled. The rest of you really are not having enough fun with this. I'm sorry. You smile what? Some of you are really stinking lucky there are no grades being given. I'm not saying who. I'm just saying. Okay, you wanted feminine for for holy? So I'm sorry, you wanted feminine what? For the word holy one Feminine what? Oh, it's Okay. Um, okay. What is that? Which is? It is masculine, singular, nominative. So, now I want to stay with singular and nominative, but I want it to be feminine. And that's, that's why I keep staring at this, because um, the marking is what I'm, I'm struggling with. Okay, flip back to the other chart, the one that you got today, and you tell me. Would you use the what? Did you say A? You're going to use the singular feminine nominative. Okay. Now, the problem is I gave you the first declension only. And when it says first declension, what can you assume from that? Uh huh. There's more declensions. Honestly, I'd have to go back to the. Let's see. 
Yeah, I, I don't think you've had one yet. Oh, okay. Because I was just looking for one that lines up with... Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Earth, but there's a better one. The most obvious, because duh. It's pretty hard for that to be masculine, folks. Oh, okay. What does it mean? Wife or... Woman. Doesn't have to be married. So, um, contrary to uh, popular Western ideology, um, that is 100% of the time feminine. So, see? So, when you ask me, Hagios, the Agia, what I was doing when I was I'm staring there and then I zoned for a second, is I'm trying to remember, without going and looking it up, if I have seen the feminine form or heard the feminine form and what was it. Because the reality is, unless you've memorized it, you don't know. like, okay, we're, we're, we're studying a foreign language, we're studying a language that has amazing number of exceptions and uh, idiosyncrasies and quirks. Not all of it's going to make sense to our systemizations. Okay? Now, if we, if we were to go deeper into this, and we will, I think we can make it make more sense, but the reality is probably you're going to finish this class and still have some fuzziness on that. If you've took a full Greek one, which is a, anywhere from a three to five semester hour course for a year, then you'd, you'd be okay with this. Okay. But otherwise, it's just hard to come across because American and English are so different. Is that making sense? Part of what I'm trying to tell you is not making sense makes sense. Anytime you're looking at a different language, it's, that's the way it's going to be. So keep coming up with questions like that. I'll try to keep coming up with examples and uh, so at least we can see, oh, okay, that's what that would look like. But then when you read in the New Testament, here's the thing that, that helps us. What we're going to be doing is not writing, not making this stuff up and therefore having to have exact form and everything correct. What we're doing is deciphering. We're reading that which is already written and already has the meaning and um, somebody else has already followed the rules and we're simply deciphering it and that's a whole lot easier when you get right down to it. Okay? Okay. I'm going to leave that for now. Um, what we just did, this kind of thing, is not a bad thing to do, to practice. Um, and again, starting next week, we will spend class time every week, more and more and more and more and more, doing that and doing the same thing uh, with verbs. So we're not just going to be looking at the declensions, we're going to look at the conjugations, 
um, so that we can recognize at least the, the major endings of verbs. There's always going to be the ones that are kind of weird or that are obscure, so that's why we've got all sorts of books. But the more you recognize the, the common ones, the less you'll have to do in those looking up because the common ones make up the bulk of what we're doing. Make sense? Okay. Day clock, let's take 10 minutes. And um, during that 10 minutes, I'm going to pull up a Bible study program called PC Study Bible. If you've never looked at this and you would like to look at it and see some of the Greek tools as well as the others, I'd be happy to show you that as well, uh, feel free to slide over here because the first thing we're going to do after the break is I'm going to pull out the resources again now that you've got more under your belt and talk about what we do with those and pass them around. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to start actually doing, in essence, lab work where you're going to be sitting there with, with the hard copies using them to come up with the meaning of words, parsing the words, and so forth. Okay? So, got 10 minutes. You want to take a stretch? You want to run the restroom? Whatever. I will pull this up over here, and feel free to come on over, and I'd be happy to show it to you. Or you can look at pictures of my grandkids. That's always good, too. For those of you listening, I'm going to turn this off so that you don't have to uh, listen to a break. It said record, so I'm assuming it's recording. So everybody say things you want people to hear, and, you know. All right, so um, one of the questions that just came up again, when you're studying at this level, and, and when I say at this level, even if you take two full years of Greek, which basically constitutes a minor in Greek, you're still going to be using English translations. Um, it, it's going to take you years and years and years of studying on top of that and practicing before you're ready to simply use nothing but Greek tools. So you're going to be using an English translation. Which one? And the question came up as I was showing on PC Study Bible, you can pull up all sorts of different translations. I almost always have a triple uh, frame, three panels, with New American Standard, New International, and then Greek when I'm studying the New Testament. Um, I do not read Hebrew, so I don't do that with, you can do it, but it wouldn't do me a heck of a lot of good because I have no idea what in the world that means. Um, so with Hebrew, I have to do everything I'm telling you to do to look those words up just like you're doing. Um, so why New American Standard, New International, why, for example, when we changed from New International, did we not go to the English Standard version? Um, which is one that is very popular today. It's being used in a lot of seminaries and Bible colleges. Um, a lot of churches are going to it. Um, they got a whole stack of them over here next door because Edmund prefers that because that's what he used in Bible college. My answer basically comes back to understanding the continuum of translations. And I know um, some of you have heard this before. So um, if you'd like to come up here and do it for me, the continuum of translations? Nobody wants?
Well, I wasn't even going to go to that full length, but um, I, I, use the, I, I use it when I'm teaching a, a new course, and, and you guys, I'm looking around, many of you have been in several of the courses, so you're all going, you know, we've heard this before. But there's one or two people who haven't, so I do it anyway. Uh, but I talk about the fact that English translations, or any translation for that matter, if I'm translating uh, English to Spanish, I'm speaking over here at Bethesda and my translator, uh, my translator is making a decision constantly when I say something. Does she try to do something that's more or less word for word? Does she try to stay grammatically on target with what I'm saying in English? Which is going to come into Spanish kind of weird. Or does she try to take what I'm saying and say it the way somebody would say it in Spanish? Which is not going to be as accurate to what I'm saying, but it's going to help people understand it more from their own framework. Okay? And there really is no such thing as all one way or the other. The extremes are not possible. But there is certainly a balance that we look for. The New American Standard goes over, if this is the more, quote, word for word, which is seen as more academic, if I'm studying the Bible and I believe the Holy Spirit has chosen these words called verbal inspiration, that's what the concept is. I believe the words themselves were chosen by the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and the vast majority of Christians believe in verbal inspiration. And I do. So if I'm, if I'm doing that, I want to know what that word means. Well, the problem is if I change the, the word so that the concept is similar over here, I don't even know what the word is. Jesus was crucified, okay? So that's English. The Greek is going to have the name, and it's going to have the verb. Now, if the more I study of the verb, the more I'm going to understand exactly what that meant, because we don't crucify people in this society. Um, we're used to seeing statuary. We're used to seeing plaques or paintings, but we don't understand what that means. Okay? On the other hand, we do have execution means, and in this society, the one that would come closest to that would be Jesus was hung. So there is a translation. Um, it almost is a paraphrase, but it's not. It's actually a translation that says Jesus was lynched. Now, can you guess who they were targeting in terms of the readership of that translation? In America? Mm-hmm. It, it was poor, rural, southern. Actually, I'm not even sure it was. It was used mostly for poor, rural, southern blacks. But I don't know that that was the target. I'm not sure. Um, I actually was a poor, rural, southern white. So... I get that, okay? But the reality is you can't study that word and understand exactly what happened. You're going to get a whole different meaning, but you are going to get a very strong emotional sense of what was said, okay? Every translation has some balance in mind. The NIV tends to be about here. They try to strike a balance, but they're going to move into what's... Um, uh, generally called the, uh, come on, what's the phrase of it? Dynamic equivalence. ESV does about the same. So they're trying to be right here. It's not very far from the center, if there is a center, which is mythical. New American Standard tries to be about here. 
couple steps to the right of center to be more, quote, academic. And I found myself, when I was preaching with the NIV, having to correct it over and over and over and over. I still will go into the meaning of the word, and I'll say things like, that's kind of a weak expression. It doesn't come across well. It's not necessarily a critique of the translation, because frequently what I'm about to tell you then simply wouldn't read right, wouldn't sound right. So you're never going to see it in a translation. But it doesn't hurt to study it and know that's what it is. And then the next time you read it, you've got the full feel for it. When you read Adam knew Eve, okay, in the biblical sense, having studied the Greek word epionosko, maybe you've studied the Hebrew word, that means the same thing, you, you read that differently now, even though you're reading the same words. That make sense? So that's why uh, a lot of people like the ASV, and just like the NIV. It is way more readable. And if you're going to sit down and read it, it is just not as hard to read, and, and you can get into it easier. But if you're going to study it, it's not going to be as useful. Okay? Which is why, by the way, I usually have both of them open when I'm doing a standard study, because frequently I will read a, a couple of paragraphs in the NIV and get a, just go through and get a flow that feels like how we would say it. But then I'm going to go back over to the NASB and see what's different. And then I'm going to look it up and see why. Every now and then, NIV, I think, comes up with a better word that's in terms of accuracy over here than NASB does. Um, and remember, NIV is a much more contemporary translation. Um, and that does have, uh, in, in our society particularly, because our language is changing very, very quickly. So, you know, the, the difference between translating something in 1950 and translating it in the year 2000 is monumental. Whereas the difference between translating it in 1800 and 1850 was minuscule. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, in order to do all this stuff that we're talking about doing, because pretty soon I'm going to start turning you loose, giving you assignments of look these words up over the week, come back and explain why would we want to know that word in that context? How does it help us understand? Because if it doesn't help us understand, then this is simply an exercise, in, as one person said about something different, in irrelevant rigorosity. You know? Sounds kind of cool, but yeah, it means it's meaningless. Um, let me give you some tools that will help you when you start doing that. I bring these three over uh, because these I took from T6. Does anybody know what T6 is? It's, if you haven't been in that, it's the, you go down the, to the end of this uh, decking, go into the hallway, and go all the way to the end on the left, the last room on the left. And there's a, a set of shelves like that, three or four of them, filled with Bible study resources. They're there to be used there at a conference table or to be checked out. Uh, if you check it out, please bring it back, okay? Because we literally have had thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars walk away. And uh, we've replaced it twice since I've been here 
We can't do that all the time. We don't have thousands of dollars every year in a budget to replace walked away books. Um, the simplest way to look up a word, you don't have to know anything about Greek, is to use the concordance. You look it up in the concordance, you take the number, you go to the back of the concordance, it gives you the Greek word. Okay? But what it doesn't give you is much meaning. So if you look up agape, it's going to say something like love. Well, that's nice. Phileo is love. Storche is love. Eros is love, if, it's, if you happen to be reading a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Do you know the word Eros is not in the New Testament? It's not there. There's no reference whatsoever to Eros. Now, in the Old Testament, there is. Um, it translated into Greek. Which means Jesus read the word eros because Jesus actually was conversant with the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. He actually quoted from it at times. We know this because it comes across different than the Masoretic Hebrew text. Okay, so which love? What, what, what is it saying about love? Vine's expository dictionary is probably the first stop and frequently the only one you need. It's, it's pretty good information. Uh, this one says, as most of the newer ones do, Vine's Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. I strongly suggest to you that if you buy one of these, you rip out everything that has to do with old and burn it because it is virtually useless. Uh, there's a few good things in there, so I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating just a little bit. Um, but this was originally written for New Testament. And uh, so somebody got the bright idea that, well, come on, the Bible's got an Old Testament too, so we should have something um, about the Old Testament in there. Um, well, that's fine. We can do that. But how much? Well, we don't have much room. Well, that's true. We don't have much room. So what are we going to do? I'm trying to find the Old Testament section in this, and it's so small, I haven't been able to find it yet. Oh, here we go. Pardon? It's, it's after the index, I think. Nope, it's not even after the index. It's so small, I can't find it. How's that? Does it? Well, I looked at the front. Oh, it is. It's that bad. Oh, good grief. Okay, you're going to love this. So you guys are aware of the difference in size between the Old Testament and the New Testament? I mean, you've read those, you've picked them up, you've carried them around a little bit, right? So the New Testament is this. Okay? The Old Testament, which is several times larger than the New Testament, is this. This is why I'm saying to you, um, don't worry about that. And if you get hold of, get on Amazon, and if it just says New Testament words, buy that one. It's going to be cheaper anyway, because it doesn't say Old Testament. And this is what you're not getting, and this is pretty much useless. There's way better resources, because trust me, you're not going to get much study done from this. Okay. Okay. So you're going to look up love in Vines, because it's an English keyed um, dictionary. And when you look up love, then it's going to break love down into verbs and nouns. 
and it's going to give you the Greek. So here's love, and it says verbs, and the first one is agapao, and it gives you English letters, so it's transliterated. But the very next thing it does is give you the Greek letters, which you now can read. So you're going to find yourself more and more looking for this and not even worrying about this. Because the English letters, the more you study the Greek, will actually confuse you. That O does not look like an Omicron or an Omega. It looks like an O. And, and really, it should be two O's if it's going to approximate an Omega. So, you know, it becomes confusing in different ways. So don't worry about that. But now you have a fair amount of teaching, if you will, about that particular love and others. Then it gives you the noun forms the same. And you're going to get to here, well, to here. So you've got about two pages worth. Okay? That's not bad, right? For agape, you're going to get about a page worth. Now, if you go to Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, now you need these skills you're getting. You know it's agapao, right? So now you're going to look this up in Greek words. So it's organized by the Greek letters. So that little exercise of the quiz that we did, if you can't do that, you can't use this because you won't be able to look them up in order. So you look it up, agapao, and what you're going to find is, I don't remember exactly, like 20 or 30 pages worth because it's a big word. It's an important concept in Christianity. Okay. So compared to what you find in vines, it's a lot more. This is a distillation of a ten-volume set. Uh, we actually have nine of those ten. One of them walked away in uh, the library or the, not it's not a library, but in the resource section in T6. So if you want to play with that, you can do that. It will give you 150 pages on agapao, agape. So obviously, I mean, the depth of study about that word, how many of those pages do you really need? Uh, the reality is you're not reading all 150 of those, trust me. For one thing, about 50% of them are in foreign languages. They translate, it, it was written originally in, in uh, German. They translated the German into English. They didn't translate any of the other languages into English. So when the German author was quoting French, now the English translation is quoting French and in French or Latin or Arabic or Hebrew or Greek, etc. So, okay, most of us are not going to be functional in six or eight different languages. Uh, so there's part of that that we're going to miss. But there's a lot of it that we won't that will be extraordinarily helpful. So you decide how much do you really want to know about this. Um, and again, I'm only bringing you uh, these two for a moment. I'm going to get you, show you some others because every one of you can access this anytime the building's open. And uh, if you don't have time, maybe you're working 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, then simply contact the office or one of the pastoral staff and uh, we'll make arrangements for you to get in some other time. Or you can come over in the evenings with class or on Sunday mornings you can go in there between classes. Uh, we don't want you interrupting a, a Sunday school class, but otherwise you can go in there and borrow them and take them home and play with them. Do that before you decide to buy them. Because that way you don't spend money on a resource that's going to end up 
thing just sitting on your shelf and you'll never use it because once you got it, it just doesn't click with you. And a lot of that's not about information, it's about format or print size. This is the interlinear Bible. This is the whole interlinear Bible. Do not buy one of these. The reason you should not buy one of these is this. I literally tried to read some of this to uh, be ready to make some comments to you and show you a passage or two. I don't use this. I, I showed some of you earlier I have an interlinear on my PC study Bible, which is way, way more readable. Okay? Um, I would have to have a magnifying glass. I have contacts and reading glasses, and I can't read this. So don't buy that. Unless you've got really good eyes, in which good, good on you. Uh, but it's there if you want it, and you have a magnifying glass at home. What? Yes. Well, the reason it's there is because you'll rarely find one volume. Normally you're going to find Old Testament or New Testament, and they're both going to be big. And uh, the editors of this wanted to produce a one-volume one. To do that, they had to make very thin paper and very small print. Okay, those are available to you over here. These are not. These are mine. I am willing to loan them if I get blood uh, in deposit. Um, come to value blood more after my adventures this year. Um, maybe I should ask for platelets. I never needed blood, but I used platelets a lot. Um, the simplest of all of these would be this. This is a... Uh, uh, just a, a Greek Testament. I know I'm going to pass this around. Uh, you'll, you'll notice, by the way, that the cover is, is brittle and cheap. and So, okay, buy a better cover if you want. Um, but this text is the one that's still being used. In fact, uh, I stepped in on uh, Edmund just before I came over here tonight uh, after Storehouse, and he was doing some of his homework, and he had this out. Exactly this which I bought 42 years ago. Um, the Greek hasn't changed. So it's, it's good to have that. You can get it in other formats, like a parallel Bible or something like that. But the good thing about that is that you can actually carry it around. Um, I frequently will take that uh, when I wasn't preaching in Beaverton. I was the associate minister, um, and I only preached about one out of ten times. So the rest of the time, if we were in the New Testament, I would frequently simply read out of that. Um, if you want, you can take that and something like this, and you're still not carrying, you know, cinder blocks or anything. It's not that bad. So if you want to flip over to the English, you've got it, um, but you don't always have to have it. So you decide what's useful to you, but it would be useful to you to have a Greek text so that you can simply look up, and by the way, it uses regular numbers. Um, you can look up by the book, the chapter, the verse, and read the Greek text of this thing you're studying. Okay? When you do that, you're going to want to look up words, and you're going to want to have a basic tool Um, Amazon's, uh, any Bible bookstore will order them for you, but most of them don't carry a lot of these because there's just not that much demand for them. 
But I don't go to Bible bookstores anymore anyway because I can always get it cheaper at Amazon, and I hate paying new. I will not buy a new vehicle, and if I can help it, I will not buy a new book. Okay? So yeah, right now I guarantee you could get on Amazon just write Greek New Testament. Uh, probably would help to, to not have to weed through as much if you said something like Metzger. Just put the word Metzger. That's the editor of this. Yeah. Um, he's not around anymore, but he was uh, like the dean of all American, pretty much English language, Greek scholarship in the last half of the 20th century. So you put Metzger and boom, it'll be there. This is a lexicon. Um, there's two big ones. They're both written 130, 140 years ago. Therefore, public domain. But because there's not a whole lot of people looking for Greek lexicons online, it's not like a lot of the other, other things where you'll find them on Bible Hub or whatever uh, most of the time. Uh, those things are always changing, so by all means, look at them, see if they're there. But my advice to you is if you're going to do serious study and you're going to get the most out of what you're doing in here, get a Greek lexicon. Lexicon simply means dictionary. This is organized by Greek, just like this. But this is giving you simple definitions of Greek words. Okay? So this is a Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, which means it is Tine Greek. There are lexicons of classical Greek, for those of you studying Homer and things like that. Don't get one of those. Uh, number one, it's not going to necessarily have the same words, and number two, the definitions may not be the same because you're, you're, you're talking about high academic Greek that may have been thousands of years separated from what we're studying. Okay? Uh, there's another one that's about, oh, this size, called Thayer's, also very popular. Um, clearly, from what I just showed you, it simply doesn't have quite as much information, but for basic Looking up the basic meanings of words, they're both extremely useful and doesn't matter. So if you can get like one of them free or something like that, uh, use bookstores. Never know what to do with these except Bookman. How many of you have been to Bookman? Yeah. If you like Bookman, cool. The very reason you probably like it is the reason you should not shop there. They actually have some clue what they've got. I bought a 10-volume Kittle set at a uh, used bookstore for $5. It's a $500 set, and it was like new. It was a USPS uh, auction thing that somebody had shipped it. It ended up in a dead room, and uh, somebody bought it at an auction. Had no idea what he had. It took up a bunch of space on his shelf, so he finally just, fine, $5, you can have it. And I mean, you got to be kidding me. So uh, the, the littler they are, the better deals you'll get because they usually don't know what they've got. Bookman, unfortunately, knows what they've got. So backhand of compliments. They're great. Don't buy there. Um, this is another thing you will not find at a Bible bookstore, if you can find a Bible bookstore anymore, uh, because nobody buys these except people like us. Um, I... I, can, I still use this some because 
uh, this particular function, even if you're spending, like, my, my Bible software is a $600 package. It doesn't do this well because it's just not something they thought of. It's simply a Greek concordance. That's all it is. You know, how many of you have used a concordance? Okay, that's all it is, except it's the Greek, Greek uh, words and Greek letters instead of the English ones. So you want to find out about agape. Where else is that used? In what context? What about heaven? We talked about heaven. The heavens can, it can be the heavens or it can be heaven. And, well, okay, what did they think of heaven? How do you know that? Look up what they said about it in the New Testament, what, what the different authors said. Any word, but you have to know the Greek word and understand Greek letters, the Greek alphabet, because it's arranged alphabetically like every other concordance. Okay? So this is moving and eating. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's another one out there, but I don't know what it is. This one is kind of the standard for academic work. Uh, Bible colleges and seminaries is the one they're going to encourage you to get. It is absolutely public domain. doesn't make a bit of difference because they don't publish it or print it in big enough lots to help you that much. Yeah? Yes. Yes. No, not likely. Um, concordance is not going to help you there. Vines will give you a little bit of that, and, and that's where you get into the dictionaries because the dictionary is going to analyze the usage in the, the variants and then talk about, because they're Bible dictionaries, talk about the different passages and how that applies to the passages, which means the bigger they are, the more of that you're going to get. So this is going to give you more than Vines, um, and by far, Kittle will give you more than that. This is also where some of you um, were, who are over here, I showed you real quick a little tab that said Word Study Sets. And, and they're basically just commentary sets, but all they are about is word studies. Um, and there's a number of those that are public domain, Robertson's, Vincent's, Weiss's, um, that are, are reasonably well thought of. Um, there are some more modern ones. I don't know of any that are better, frankly, because the scholarship's the scholarship. It, it hasn't changed. Um, but they're going to do more along the line of what we just talked about. And then um, those of you who are over here, if you remember me mentioning one module I added for $40, it's a little paperback. I didn't even pull it out tonight because I'm not really encouraging you to all buy it at this level. But Trench is synonyms of the New Testament. Um, so you can see it's not exhaustive, you know. But what it does is look at synonyms and, and contrast the way words are used and the differences in meaning. So between those, you're going to see a lot of that kind of thing coming out. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, the, the basic uh, lexicon will help you a lot with regard to Petros, Petra, because those are different words. Uh, the neuter, versus, I'm sorry, the, the masculine versus the feminine changes the word in that case, um, and it's going to say that. But it's not going to go into a lot of detail. What, which is, again, one more time, that's why you get these and play with them first. Okay? I am willing, I said it before, and um, okay, uh, special offer for this class only, I will let you guys borrow these without drawing blood. 
Okay, hey, that's it. I've had most of these tools 40 years, and I've used them. So, I mean, this one used to have tabs for every single one of these entries. So, you see, I used that one a fair amount. Knock all those babies off. Um, what's parsing? Breaking down into? Mm -hmm. What we are doing up here is kind of the opposite of parsing. So when you see this, the heavens, parsing it would be, okay, is it, what case is it? What gender is it? Is it singular or plural? If it's a verb, first person, second person, third person, what mood, what voice, all of that stuff, okay? On mine, uh, on the, my, my Bible study program, they do that for you. So uh, all I had to do was put my cursor over the Greek word in the Greek text, just this, that they had in there, and the parsing pops up in a little bubble. I'm not entirely lazy, but that's really helpful. Okay? So I haven't used this since I got that. Because this does the same thing, only you have to look it up. You look it up by Greek letters, but you're not looking up the lexical form. If you look up heaven, you're going to get not this, but you're going to get this. Okay? And that's not going to help you parse the same word in a specific context. All you're going to get is the definition of the generic word. Well, that's nice. I already know it means heavens or heaven. I'm trying to figure out the rest of it. So you use what's called an analytical dictionary or lexicon. Okay? And the analytical basically means it's going to parse it for you. So it's going to have uranos, and it's going to parse that. It's going to have uranis, it's going to parse that. It's going to have every variant that's used in the New Testament. It will not have every variant that's possible. It will have every variant actually used in the New Testament. Okay? So that's this one. Now, by this time, what I'm hoping is that you're beginning to ask yourself, at least, questions about resources. Which ones might I want? What am I going to do with these things? You know, Why would I want that? I don't know that I want to do that, but that one looks cool. I might want that. I'm hoping you're doing that because, frankly, by the time we're done, if you haven't done that, you're not going to get any of these resources. And the only thing you're going to be able to keep up on is these things I'm asking you to memorize. So unless you've got an enormous amount of time to stop in the, the, the memorization of all of those things, you're not going to get past the level where we are now. You need some of these resources to do that. Now, with that said, do you have any questions about any of these resources or, okay, but I want to do this, what resources would be useful for that? Have you got all of that down now? 
you have any questions about any of these resources or about, okay, but I want to do this, what resource would be useful for that? So where would I get it? How many of you plan on buying a resource of any kind? Okay. Who? Hmm? Already have. Okay. So, let me drive it home this way. You're totally wasting your time here if when we're done, you do not get hold of a basic lexicon. I would say, honestly, an analytical because I don't think for a second you guys are going to memorize all of those declensions and conjugations and keep them memorized. I do not mean to be putting you down. I am a reasonably intelligent person. I haven't done that. So I'm assuming not everybody else is going to either. That will do it for you, and you will know exactly what part of speech. You will know the tense of the verb and, therefore, the significance of it in a given passage. Okay? and probably a basic Bible dictionary of some type um, that goes further. Okay? Uh, the Greek concordance, yeah, you may or you may not want to use that. Um, you can kind of do a workaround. It's, it's more work by simply using an English concordance, looking up the English word or words that translate a given Greek word, and then finding out if that's the word by going through that whole process with Strong's or whatever exhaustive concordance you're using or uh, whatever um, uh, interlinear you might be using. But if you're going to be doing uh, more in-depth word studies or even topical studies, then something like this can be extremely useful to you. Okay? You do not have to be teaching. You do not have to be preaching to get value out of these. I honestly believe every Christian should be studying at that level. I don't think there's one of the things that drives me crazy, some of you have heard my little soapbox on this, is that the person who says, well, I'm not a theologian. I want to tell them, shut up right then. If you're not a theologian, shut up. I don't want to listen to you. A theologian means what? Theos logos. Somebody studies God. That's what we're doing when we look into the Bible. And I don't want to hear your opinion if you're not studying it. Because all you're going to do is share ignorance with us. We're going to get people hurt that way. So be a theologian. You may not have to be a full-time theologian. I'm not a full-time theologian. I'm a full-time minister. That's different. Trust me. So I don't get to spend near as much time doing this stuff as I'd like to. But I get to do it. Okay. Let's see where we are. Any questions on any of this tonight? And then, if you don't, I've got another question for you. Questions, questions, questions. Okay, let me ask you a question. It's a little bit off of, yeah, we've done pretty much everything that we had talked about. There's one other thing I was going to add tonight, but I think I'm going to hold it. Let me ask you this. Of all the things that we've done so far, what have you found, A, the most interesting, and B, the most useful? Interesting and useful. 
to you as a subjective question. The teacher raises her hand in that case. Purify. What's purify sound like to you? 
What, what is it? What does it mean? Cleanse. Clean out the dirt. Dokimatsu is the word most often translated purify in most modern translations. And I will posit most modern translations because old English words will use, you know, old English translations will use other words. Dokimatsu is the, again, it's the lexical form. You're already hearing something, by the way. Dokimatsu. What's that sound like? The ending. It's a verb. Okay, I'm, I'm stretching you because we've introduced this. Brian and I talked about it a couple weeks ago, but I haven't given you the verb endings yet. It's first person active. It's the lexical form. Okay? It means to smelt. Now, if you've been in a Bible study with me for long, you've probably run into it because it's an image that's very uh, frequently used in the New Testament. Now, what does smelt mean? This is not a small fish. To heat it up so much. I mean, this is, this is extraordinary heat that it liquefies. And then... If, for example, you're trying to purify gold, gold is going to sink. The impurities will either burn off or they will rise to the top. Now, there's others where the pure thing rises to the top. Um, if you're trying to get lead out of a, a less dense metal, for example, uh, the lead's going to sink. Okay, it's the same process. You scoop off what's good and keep it. You scoop off what's bad. You throw it onto a heap. Um, I grew up, my, my roots are in the Appalachians in coal mining country. And there's entire mountains. You drive by still today, you can drive by places on the interstate uh, and just look at it and think, how did that get so ugly? And it was because of decade after decade after decade of coal processing and they would just throw the slag, that's what it's called, the stuff, throw it out there, and it would be a slag heap, and it's basically the garbage. God, when, he, when he's talking about doing this, purifying, by the way, sometimes it's the word test, sometimes it's the word prove. So when you see those words, and now you've got this in your head, it's a good idea to find out what it's saying. And you go in there and you realize, for God to do that with us, this is a good thing. He's literally purifying us, taking the impurities out of our life, doing it like we would gold. But imagine if you're the gold ore. Anthropomorphize the gold ore being smelted. How's that feel? How's it feel to have your life, to have the heat turned on so hot that it liquefies you? All of a sudden, most of us are not quite as excited about the process. We love the result. The process, not so much. And I'll be honest with you, the older I get and the more I go through in my life, the less excited I get about it. Because I've been through a lot, and i got to tell you, the higher that heat is, the less I want to do it again. It's like, Lord, can we be done teaching for a while? 
can we go with 18 carat for a while instead of 24? <laughs> you know? But God is so faithful to us that he gets us through that. Now, understanding that is the difference between maintaining your faith or losing it when you're laying in a hospital bed and almost dying because of what they're doing to you. I guarantee you. Getting that is what keeps us with the Lord and other things like that. That's why we're doing this. So, keep at this and and commit yourself to making it possible to actually learn these things. Every one of you is capable, honestly, every one of you is capable of learning this way beyond what I'm teaching. Way beyond what I'm teaching. The reason you probably won't is because most of us simply don't have the time. And like everything else, it takes time to do this. But that's okay, because with the time you've got, you can learn enough that virtually everything I've shared with you in these word pictures, you can pick up on your own. I'll pick them up faster, because I've got more time, and you actually pay me to do it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Freeze me up, and I get to spend sometimes hours just sitting in there playing, studying. But you can do it. Next week, we're going to add the last piece now, when I say add the last piece, we will probably not ever in this class present all the different endings to you, all the declensions, all the conjugations, because there's so many variants that there's just no good reason to do that. Okay? And by the way, with the Internet, you can Google them and get them yourself anyway. But honestly, I wouldn't waste your time on it. Next week, we're going to present to you the, um, the conjugations so that we can begin to do the same kind of thing that we've been doing with nouns, with verbs. And that's going to then free us to get into the second phase of this. We'll still be throwing more words at you. We'll still be throwing some more grammatical things at you. But we're going to start getting more and more into word studies that you're going to do. I'm not going to do them for you. And we're going to get more and more into actually getting passages and you more or less translating them. We're going to end up helping with some of it because there's a lot of miniature, uh, minuscule things that you're going to need. But you're going to definitely translate the bulk of it. Okay? So hang in there. We're getting to the fun stuff. All right. 908. Would you like me to... I've got stuff already planned. I can throw more stuff at you, but... I'm not convinced it's useful tonight. So you tell me, you want to stay here for 22 more minutes or would you like to leave now? You're not going to tell me. Okay. All right, we'll take a break now. And um, next week, uh, do be here at 6.30 because uh, Brian is going to get us started. And next week we're going we're gonna to still do the level we've been doing, but it's going to be fun. We get to do the verbs. Does, I'm trying to turn this off, and then I want to ask you a question. <laughs>